Inside the Gators Football Podcast. I am your host, Danny Villanueva, and I'm alongside Tanner Danny and guest, senior beat writer for InsideTheGators.com, Landon Wanick. Guys, how are you guys doing? I'm doing great, man. Just uh, ready to talk some Gator football. I'm doing great as well. I'm getting ready to cover this North Texas game Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Should be a fun one. Yeah, we finally got this idea off the ground. We've been talking about it for a while, and here it is, the first one. I hope everybody likes it. So... On to our first topic to get things started. Uh, State of the Gators, our first segment here. Uh, the Gators, 2-0 through the first two games. They beat UMass, and they just came off a huge victory against Kentucky where they blew them out of the water. Guys, uh, tell me about it. Well, obviously, I mean, the season opener was a bit of a lackluster effort. I mean, Florida had some issues, notably along the offensive line, and the offense stalled at times, but eventually pulled, pulled out in the fourth quarter with a 24-7 victory over UMass. And then bounced back in a big way last game. Uh, really, you know, controlled the tempo from the get-go and really got off to a fast start against Kentucky. I mean, by half, Florida's already leading 24-zip. And, I mean, just the offensive line was a, was a big factor in that game. Really bounced back from game one. Uh, a, a lot of good pass protection, especially after that first drive when, you know, Luke Del Rio was pressured twice on uh, hurries allowed by Fred Johnson. He's sticking Jawan Taylor there, and the freshman does a heck of a job. And really, that, that offense showed a lot of things in that first game. I mean, we saw the deep ball. And then, I mean, I've been focusing a lot on offense, but the defense the past two games has looked excellent. I mean, in all three phases, I mean, we've seen a lot of good things from that group, especially the secondary in the last game, uh, notching three interceptions, one each for Quincy uh, uh, Wilson, Jalen Tabor, and uh, Marcus May. So uh, a, lot, a lot of positives, uh, especially from that second game. You know, think looking back on the first game and then looking on to Kentucky, um, one thing that's really stood out to me was how night and day the offensive line looked. The offensive line struggled so much against Massachusetts and then bounced back in a big way um, against Kentucky in the Swamp. And the, Gator, the stable of running backs that the Gators have right now, I mean, the depth is absolutely incredible. Um, having a four-headed monster in the backfield. You know, you have Michael P. Ryan who stepped up and he... Uh, you know, he balled out against Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He uh, he shined out a little bit, so probably uh, get to see him a little more this season. I think Del Rio has definitely improved from Massachusetts onto Kentucky. Um, really curious to see if this is the actual playbook, like you know, if or if there's obviously more to it. You know, bringing out certain plays against teams like Tennessee, LSU, Georgia, Florida State. So I'm really interested to see something about that. And then the defensive play, I mean, like Landon said, it's been outstanding. Mm-hmm. You know, guys like Alex Antoloni, I mean, the guy's been a stud. Yeah, absolutely. Been a stud. Yeah, I think Gator fans knew that the Gators going to come out 2-0. I mean, nobody's surprised by the result. Uh, no. I think they were very surprised with the first game against UMass. I did not think it would be that close. The fourth quarter, I mean, everybody knew the Gators were going to win that game. They were in control for the most part. Uh, but the fact that they struggled raised a lot more question marks. The offensive line did not play well, that first game against UMass. And then right, right. in the second game, you know, coaching staff told him, hey, there has to be a standard, and that was not good enough. And we, I, we spoke to Cam Dillard after, their, after the Kentucky game, and he said the coaching staff challenged them. And, you know, they, they went up to that challenge, and they, they succeeded. And he's like, that's the standard now for Gator offensive linemen. And we're going to see if that uh, keeps going, going into North Texas and Tennessee. But what you were saying about the defense, fantastic. 
Here, I got a stat here. The Gators have held consecutive opponents to under 200 yards for the first time since 2009. We all know how good that 2009 Gator defense was. And if a stat showing any comparison to the 2019, that's a great sign. And Gators are 2-0 for the 11th time in 12 years. That just shows how good the Gators have started the last decade. Those, the first two games now, whether they can continue the, their success going into deeper SEC play is a question we're going to have to see get answered. Uh, we talked about Luke Del Rio. Uh, you know, he's done what we expected him the first two games, but obviously I want to hear your guys' opinion. Well, obviously, I mean, Del Rio's been pretty effective running the offense. I mean, McElwain's been pretty uh, a harsh critic, you know, just on some of his uh, plays. And in that last game, he did have some questionable throws. You know, mistimed a couple, including that interception uh, on a yeah, on a yeah. pass intended for C.J. Wharton. Obviously, Wharton overran the route, but Del Rio threw that a little behind, mistimed it, and uh, that would result in a pick. And there are a couple other questionable throws. I mean, uh, at times, you know, just Del Rio kind of had uh, trouble, you know, setting his feet and, and threw a couple bad balls here and there. And and uh, another one too was just on, on a deep pass to Brandon Powell in the end zone in the second quarter. I mean, he had a with Siante Lewis wide open and. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was Lewis, but then uh, obviously threw in the double coverage, and that was a risky throw. And I mean, you could have had a touchdown there. So obviously, McElwain's picked on a couple of throws that Del Rio's done. But for, for the most part, I mean, he's been pretty solid and effective. Uh, obviously, established the deep ball in that second game, stretched the field vertically with that 78 yard touchdown pass to Callaway that really, you know, excited a lot of folks. And then in that first game, too, you know, just proved that, you know, he was uh, familiar and uh, comfortable within uh, Doug Nussmeyer's offense. So. I mean, obviously, there's a negative connotation behind the term game manager, yeah. but but I mean, he's, I mean, it, it, it could be looked at in a positive way too. I mean, he hasn't made too many egregious errors. Obviously, some questionable throws and that interception, but for the most part, he's you know been pretty solid in that offense. And why is that that the game manager description is so bad? I don't understand it because look at Alabama, AJ McCarron, and all those guys have been game say, managers, I was about to say AJ right? McCarron. And they've been winning all those national championships down in Alabama so why can't we have that here at Florida I don't understand I mean a lot of it too is just maybe Del Rio doesn't possess maybe the athleticism or the arm or maybe the running ability like some of the other quarterbacks at the college level do but he's just a student of the game I mean obviously growing up from in that football background uh, with the head coach as a father and Jack Del Rio who's now coaching the Oakland Raiders I mean obviously Del Rio grew up with the game and learned a lot of things and it, it, it's been a huge help in just his preparation and kind of how he, you know, picks up playbooks and whatnot. So, I mean, I mean, that's been huge for Florida, you know, just having somebody who's mature and intelligent at that position. You know, you touched on uh, Luke Del Rio being coached hard by McElwain, and, I mean, obviously that's going to bring out the best in him. So far, you know, throughout the first two games, like I said before, I think Del Rio is improving game by game. And, you know, he – on it. To me, he doesn't really have like the wow factor that you know a star quarterback would have, mm-hmm. but he's someone that's going to, con- I think, consistently get you from game to game and play well enough. And if he does that, I mean, Florida's going to be able to win games. I mean, especially with the stable of running backs yeah. that he has, he's going to be able to hand the ball off to you know all four of those guys to you know help open up this offense as well. So I don't know. I think I like what I see from Luke Del Rio so far. Uh, Decision making kind of scares me <laughs> like whenever I watch it yeah like sometimes it's just like not there I remember against Kentucky he was scrambling to the right side of the field I don't remember what quarter it was but he hit Goolsby with that amazing catch that Goolsby had towards yeah. the sideline I mean his arm really bailed him out there uh I don't know wasn't the best decision that I would do <laughs> like, that's something I wouldn't do if I was a quarterback yeah. but I mean he bailed himself out and 
you know, so far I do like what I see from him, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, should be able to manhandle North Texas and then looking onward to Tennessee, Tennessee. next week and so playing in a hostile environment. Yeah. So, yeah, Going back to that game manager thing, i got a stat here. 63.2 completion percentage. That's second in the nation. All right, so if, if that's a game manager, I'm all for it. All right, and I'm sure McIlwain will be all for that as well. And but final thing on Del Rio, he's only going to go as far as the offensive line takes him. We saw him struggle a little bit in the first game against UMass, and then obviously played a lot better with four touchdowns against Kentucky when the offensive line stepped up. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a trend. Offensive line plays well. Luke Del Rio is going to play well. Yeah, you could just tell, you know, when he has that clean pocket and has some time to drop back. I mean. It, it, he really has the potential you know, to stretch the field vertically. I mean, even McWade mentioned that uh, a lot of teams didn't really know that Del Rio has that type of arm, and he could really bring that to the table. I mean, maybe he doesn't have you know the greatest arm strength that maybe Florida's four single callers on the team, but, I mean, it's pretty solid in its own right. And, I mean, we saw it on that 78-yard touchdown pass, so he, he could bring that to the table for sure. Yeah, one of uh, Del Rio's main weapons, which he's going to need besides the offensive line, obviously, is the running back group. Uh, Jordan Scarlett, mm-hmm. LaMichael P. Ryan. They've been pretty good. They've been the main backs for the first two games of the season. Thoughts? Uh, I mean, they just they played outstanding. I mean, they've really I think they've really helped this offense so far. Um, you know, UMass the offensive line was very poor in my opinion, yeah. and then Kentucky. Whenever Fred Johnson kind of went down with his injury, uh, Jawan Taylor stepped in and he really helped not just the running backs, you know, find their gaps and then find the space, but I mean, they also helped Luke Del Rio. Yeah, I mean, he was hurried twice on the first drive with Fred Johnson in a tackle. Jawan Taylor comes in; he wasn't hurried for the rest of the game. Didn't get sacked once. So, yeah, man, you got a lot of interesting elements in that room. Obviously, Mark Thompson, you know, showed some nice things in that last game. I mean, had uh, 59 yards on uh, what was it, 15 carries or something like that? But yeah, it was uh, like 15 carries. Yeah, and then a touchdown as well. His first uh, collegiate score. I mean, he he did a pretty good job, you know, of just. Uh, doing some of those inside runs, really, you know, running aggressively and whatnot. And obviously Scarlett, too, I mean, uh, had his ups and downs in the second game, but in the first game really showed a knack for, you know, fighting for that extra yardage and really looked like he put some of those mistakes from a year ago behind them. And then, I mean, Cronkite, too, obviously maybe hasn't received as many carries as the other, you know, two veteran backs, but has done some nice things, you know, just as a pass-catching threat, you know, on like swing passes and whatnot, and then uh, a third down threat as well really helped Florida move the chains in the last contest. And then, I mean, the, the big story, one of the biggest stories in the last week, and obviously with Michael P. Ryan. I mean, yeah. he got a freshman rushing for 100 yards. I think there was only three freshman backs in all of college football during week two that ran for more than 100 yards, as far as, far as what I had heard the stat. But um, I mean, he showed some nice things. He looks like one of the most natural runners on the team, and I mean, maybe he isn't the fastest back on the squad, but. I mean, the kid's got some wheels yeah. from what I saw. He could, he, I mean, once he's in the open field, he could, he could accelerate. Yeah, P. Ryan is impressive. That's all you can say. I was on the field Saturday against Kentucky, and everybody's just going up to him saying, good job, good job. You know, he fumbled on his first carry, collegiate carry, and going into his first SEC game against Kentucky, running for over 100 yards, catching a touchdown. It's a, it's a freshman, all right? He's the only freshman to run for over 100 yards and catch a touchdown in the nation. So big things coming from that running back group. And mm-hmm. going back to Cronkite, um, I mean, when the running back group is that stacked, you know, somebody's going to get left out. So, I mean, it, it's unfortunate that Cronkite has to be that guy. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we all saw this coming, didn't we? I mean, at the same time, too, Ford has found a way to get all those guys involved. I mean, uh, maybe he's not starting, but he, he's, found, he's found the role. Maybe it's not the most significant role, but he, he's seen some 
playing time. I mean, he's been involved early on, you know, on those earlier drives. And Florida's kind of used him more as a, a niche guy in certain packages. But, I mean, it should be kind of be interesting. I mean, obviously Florida's made it known that they kind of want to use more two running back sets and Cronkite can kind of be the guy who rolls out as a receiving threat on some of those downs. So, I mean, I'm really kind of interested to see wh- where that group plays out at Florida, you know, you know, tightens up the rotation there or really keeps it, you know, by that running back by committee approach. And you think Thompson, has he reached your expectations? Is he doing what you expected or underachieving, overachieving? What do you think? He's been pretty good. I mean, I, I mean, I, I kind of want to see him just run more consistently in, uh, or like a more – Aggressively on a consistent basis. We'll I mean, see him I mean, harder for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he showed some of that in game two, but I kind of want to see that more often going forward. You know, just kind of as an inside runner, because Florida really needs a a running back who could be a punisher and you yeah. know just uh you know that that bell cow back kind of deal. So I mean, I want I really want to see how he uh, you know handles that aspect of the game. Yeah, he had his moment against UMass by the goal line. It was fourth down. I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, it was fourth down right by the goal line. They handed it off to. Thompson gets stuffed by UMass. You yeah. said something about Martez Ivy, right? Yeah, but that was uh, Martez Ivy missing on the pole. I mean, Florida let uh, you know an, an edge rusher into, uh, get penetration into the backfield, and that stopped Thompson. I mean, that was that was mainly a missed block. But obviously, I mean, Thompson still could have run ran harder on that play. But I mean, a lot of that was just the missed block by Ivy. All right. Well, we know that the running back group is solid. Moving on to the wide receivers, of course, Antonio Callaway, the leader of that squad. Uh, besides Callaway, you got Brandon Powell, who's done a pretty solid job himself. Mm-hmm. We had Dre Massey go down for with a season-ending injury, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and you know, finally getting some a good look at C.J. Warden, who made an appearance in the Kentucky game. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I mean, right now, really, the two guys that have kind of stood out, as you mentioned, you know, Callaway and Powell have done some really nice things, been you know, huge playmakers for that Florida offense. I kind of want to see really who else steps up at receiver. Mm-hmm. I mean. Obviously, it's unfortunate with Massey going down in the season opener. I mean, on the opening kickoff, better yet, with a torn ACL. I mean, that's just unfortunate. But I kind of want to see some of those other guys, you know, step up on a more consistent basis. I mean, I've really been impressed with what I've seen with from uh, Freddie Swain and uh, Joshua Hammond so far. I mean, both those guys have, you know, shown uh, flashes of playmaking ability and, and little spurts and, and done some nice things. But, I mean, Fortis might need those guys, you know, kind of step up more and, and really provide a burst and... I mean, Swain's done a good job so far. He has a two-point conversion and a, a touchdown in his first two games. But just kind of looking at the veterans, I mean, Florida's really going to need C.J. Wharton to potentially step up, possibly even as that third guy or maybe even the, 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 one of the top four guys. Uh, I mean, obviously returning back from that high ankle sprain, uh, he, he did some nice things in the, the last game. Obviously was partly responsible for that interception, but helped move the chains on two occasions for first downs. And Florida's going to really need a lot out of him. Obviously hasn't reached his potential up to this point in his Florida career, but has the skill set and the tools to be a very good football player. I mean, uh, and you look at the other veteran receiver, Ahmad Fullwood, hasn't really, you know, proven to be, uh, you know, a consistent playmaker in four seasons now as a Gator. So, I mean, I wouldn't put too much of my eggs in that basket. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, some of the other freshman receivers, too. I mean, Rick Wells hasn't seen the field yet. Tyree Cleveland's been dealing with those hamstrings and obviously the legal trouble during the offseason. It hasn't been a smooth road for him. So, I mean, that's kind of just where the receiver position right now stands. Yeah, there's uh, one guy that really stands out to me the most. And going back to the spring, Freddie Swain. Yeah. I mean, one guy that I watched all spring, I, I didn't see the guy drop a ball. Every time I had my eyes Not on Not only him. his hands, but his route running is really good. Yeah, he had he a crisp route runner. But his, man, his hands are phenomenal. Yeah. He's, and I think he's, he has the ability to go and catch the ball, you know, over two defensive backs. Like, he has that ability. Great leaping ability. Um, 
I mean, he's a solid route runner, solid hands. I thought he had an outstanding spring. Mm-hmm. Definitely interested to see, you know, what his role is as the uh, as the season progresses. Also, want to see some uh, some of Josh Hammond as well because Josh Hammond was another guy that was, that had a you know a pretty solid spring as well. Um, you touched on a mod forward, you know, been you know fairly disappointing for Gators so far. Um, C.J. Wharton, I mean, he he could possibly step up into one of the top four roles at receiver. Uh, he has the ability to, but the question is, can he? will he practice consistently and will he make his way into that lineup and play? He finally got past that ankle injury. If he can just stay healthy, there's, a, there's some potential for him, isn't there? I mean, I think so, for sure. I mean, look at his play against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. I mean, uh-huh. that's just one play. He didn't really have much time, playing time prior, but, I mean, he had that one amazing catch over uh, the secondary in the end zone for the touchdown. So, I mean... I don't know. If you have playmaking ability like that, you should be able to see the field at some point. But you have to be able to practice consistently to do so. Yeah, going back to Freddie Swain, I don't think people can emphasize it enough how big him early enrolling was. You saw him in fall camp and even in spring camp. He, he's just so mature for a freshman. I mean, it looks like he's in his junior year. I mean, his route running, his hands, he's so dependable. Uh, Luke Del Rio has talked about it. He can always depend on, on Freddie because you know, he knows he's going to catch the ball. So obviously that's going to be a big part of the Gator offense moving forward. But let's talk about the main piece. Antonio Callaway, he's had two touchdowns in his first two games, but obviously he got a little, little bit nicked up against Kentucky. Tell mm-hmm. us about that, Landon. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's been dealing with that quad injury, kind of been a little, you know, during the open portions of practice that we've been able to watch this week, I mean, he's been a little gippy and, you know, running a little bit gingerly on that. And, and I mean, obviously Wednesday and then Thursday on the Gator Talk show, McWayne reaffirmed that Callaway is going to be doubtful for the North Texas game. So Florida's going to need some of its other receivers to really step up. And a lot of those guys we just mentioned uh, are going to see bigger roles in that contest. I mean, but just as far as Callaway, Florida's really going to need him in that Tennessee game, obviously. So, you know, why really, you know, kind of risk anything going with that injury? I mean, obviously Callaway's, you know, fighting through some pain there and some soreness. So, you know, might as well just, you know, send him out this week and, Hope for the best against North Texas. I mean, obviously Florida's a 36-point favorite right now, so, you know, expected to win that contest. But Florida's really going to need Callaway for Tennessee. Yeah, if I'm Coach Matt, I don't want Callaway anywhere near kickoff. <laughs> I want him in a shirt and shorts and sneakers come kickoff time in the Swamp on Saturday. I, I wouldn't even put him in Gator Walk. I just want that guy in just, like, quarantine. I don't want anything to happen. <laughs> what, what if they're tied 7-7 at the half, though? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> First off, it's tied seven seven and a half. We have major problems here. <laughs> like we need Callaway for for Tennessee. That's that's number one uh, importance right there. And and Brandon Powell, hey, he's got two touchdowns in his first two games here. That's mm-hmm. not let's not forget about him. He's been a huge contributor. Yeah, he's been pretty good so far. I mean, very versatile for the Florida offense. Has worked on the slot. Has seen some time at Z re- uh, receiver two on the outside. Has you know looked really good coming back from that foot injury that kept him out during the spring. I mean, he's been a good playmaker and. You know, very very shifty, agile player there. He's he's helped out a whole bunch. I mean, Brandon Powell, he's one of those guys that's actually he's been able to step in and show some leadership for the receivers when he's healthy. When he's healthy, yeah. for sure. But um, you know, it's actually nice to see him back. Whenever he went down against Kentucky, I mean, that was a pretty scary moment. Yeah, because I, I, I was a good ten feet away from that. Like yeah. all the breath in the swamp was just out. Yeah, like. Everybody was just quiet, hoping it was okay. Obviously, it wasn't that bad at the end of the day, but, I mean, that was a close call. Yeah, Brandon, uh, Brandon Powell was able to provide that spark. I mean, obviously, a guy like Callaway is going to 
you know, he's going to shine. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, the other contributors as well. But Brandon Powell, I don't know, he's just very, very versatile. I mean, you could, hell, you could throw him in the backfield if you wanted to. Yeah. So Former I mean, running back. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't know, it's very, very key to make sure that he's maintaining his health, you know, as the season progresses. All right, guys, we've stayed away from it long enough. Uh, I think we have to talk about it now. The offensive line. I know we don't like to well, talk we about it. Well, too we much. mentioned it from the get go. Yeah, but. I mean, but like, it's a pretty scary subject when it comes to Gator fans. You know, yeah. the Gators haven't had much depth there. Yeah, it's, the it, years. it's pretty unbelievable that out of all the topics, the offensive line has been one of the most followed ones throughout the entire year. I mean, Florida fans have just been that concerned about the performance of the group that it's kind of a, a weekly deal of like, oh, how's the offensive line going to look this week? And I mean,. They're headed on the right track. I mean, week two was a very good performance overall, like I mentioned earlier on the podcast. Uh, but, I mean, the group's going to have to prove that they could, you know, just make a push in the run game and, you know, keep Luke Dell real clean, you know, obviously against North Texas. And then, I mean, Tennessee, the big one coming up, that's going to be the real challenge, you know, going on the road handling that. But Florida is going to be a little shorthanded uh, along the starting offensive line. I mean, Tyler Jordan is uh, – he's got an eye injury. He's going to miss, uh, according to McElwain, a couple weeks – Apparently, it's a orbital bone deal. Uh, might have been something stemming from high school, maybe early on in college, but it's an injury he's had in the past, and it, he's going to miss some time. So Ford is going to need uh, uh, Richard Desir Jones to step up in a starting role at the right guard spot. And McElwain even mentioned it Wednesday. He's really excited to see how uh, Desir Jones handles that role this weekend. And we might even see some lineups as well with uh, Jawan Taylor at right tackle and then Fred Johnson at right guard. We saw a little bit of it last game when Tyler Jordan was you know, sideline for a series with an ankle injury. And, I mean, Florida's going to do a little bit of experimenting there. But right now, if it, if anything stands out, I mean, it's just Jawan Taylor. He's really established himself at right tackle. I mean, Florida would be crazy not to start him this weekend. <laughs> the great wall of Wani. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this guy's going to be key because you, you clearly saw just how he protected Del Rio against Kentucky. I mean, obviously it takes a group effort to do so, but – Taylor was a monster. Like, I remember watching one of the touchdowns in, uh, towards the goal line. It was one of the runs. He was just Kentucky? Yeah. Okay. Dude, he was just shoving the defender. Like, he, he's a man amongst men out there. Yeah. Like, I agree. A man amongst boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Right. Uh, he's, a, he's a freshman man among boys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, guy, the guy's a freak. It's I supposed think, to be the other way around. Yeah, he's yeah, I know. Like, did you guys expect this? I mean, what was he, a three-star coming out of high school? I mean, I mean, he played against some good competition though in high school. I mean, he's he's been you know a heralded guy maybe if he didn't get those stars. But I mean, Florida fans were really high on him. Just a lot of it, you know, was just in high school he you know had those weight issues and obviously really dedicated himself uh, from a senior year to now to shedding a ton of weight. Lost from like 40, 50 pounds and his mobility has improved. And I mean, he that, that linebacker or uh, that offensive tackle's got some dog in him. I mean, he could you know just he he could, he could you know enforce his will out there. And you talked about Desir Jones, uh, sorry, Fred Johnson and Jawan Taylor mm-hmm. probably playing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Gators did a lot of cross-training in fall camp. Tell mm-hmm. us about that. Yeah, I mean, we saw a bunch of guys at different positions. I mean, even Tyler Jordan at one point played left tackle because some guys were out of practice with injuries or illness or whatever it may be. And Florida shifted around a bunch of guys. But obviously, I mean, for the most part, they've tried to keep their starting five intact. Obviously, now, you know, Jordan's out, so he's slipping Desir Jones, but... I mean, Fred Johnson will kind of be, I guess, that third guard in the rotation this game, and, and we'll see. We'll see some lineups with it. We'll see how Fred Johnson handles it because, I mean, last game in pass protection, he was a liability on the edge for sure. How good can this offensive line be? We saw the progression from UMass to Kentucky. 
are we going to see? Is this a, is this the ceiling or is there the potential still there? Is, is could this this offensive line is good at times when they want to be? Can they be great? Well, we saw them play great for the most part, especially in pass protection against Kentucky. I mean, if they could keep that up against better a uh, better front sevens and better opponents. I mean, Tennessee's a whole different story than Kentucky. T- oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, if they could play like that, you know, against some of the SEC teams, I mean, it, Outlook would look great, you know? I mean, it, it's just, uh, with a lot of it, too, it's just, you know, going to take a little more time and experience for this group. I mean, the, the group was really thrown into the fire last year, a lot of first year starters. And, I mean, the excuses aren't as plentiful the second year, but a lot of those guys are still very young, some, some sophomores among that group, so. I mean, it, it, it's going to take time. I mean, I think the group could be pretty solid, especially with some of the things I saw in that Kentucky game. I think it just really depends on Florida finding that set five that can consistently produce and that can consistently protect Luke Del Rio and, you know, create help create the running game. Um, and like I said before, like, I'm just, I'm very high on Juwan Taylor. Mm-hmm. The guy's a freak. Oh, yeah. So, I mean. I mean get, the Gators, you got to give it to them, have come a long way since last Fall. Or oh. was it like six guys on Yeah, when the, when the bartender and the pizza delivery guy were playing at left tackle and right tackle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Gators are, Coach Mack probably is extremely happy where he is right now than he was last year around this time. But we're going to take a break from talking about the positional groups to talk to Inside the Gators recruiting analyst Blake Alderin. Blake, how you doing? Good, man. Glad to be here. All right, Blake. Uh, we got a few questions to ask you. Just uh, you know, just the state of Gator recruiting. We know you're day and night all into that. So we're gonna see what you got for us tonight. Um, first off, um, how's recruiting right now? Is it on track? A little bit behind? Tell us about it. You know, I think right now, I think if if you're Florida's coaching staff, you have to be pretty happy with what they put together so far. Um, heading in, uh, they had a big need at defensive tackle. They have three commits there, and the three guys that they're really high on. Um, you know, linebacker's been another position. Florida's going to graduate some guys this year. Uh, you know, and they've obviously got two talented guys still in the, the uh, runnings for a couple other guys. Um, you know, Florida's always, you know, they're, they, they praise the stable of running backs. And they've got a very good one, and a Darius Lemons, an in-state guy. Um, you know, defensive back is probably one of the bigger, you know, if not the biggest need that they have probably in their entire class, regardless of, the, you know, side of ball or whatever it is. You know, they, they've got some talented guys right now. They've got three uh, you know, defensive backs that look like they're going to come in and make a you know a case for early playing time. You know, with some guys possibly leaving. Obviously, there's a couple guys still they're looking to add there. Um, you know, I think you know, kind of finishing out that defensive backboard and you know, really trying to help you know bolster the offensive tackle position. You know, I think that's probably their two biggest needs they have. Uh, you know, you have you know Quincy Wilson possibly leaving, Jalen Taylor. Tabor possibly leaving, uh, Marcus May on his way out. You know, there's going to be some holes back there. So I think that uh, you know they're going to look to you know replace it with some top end guys. I think right now uh, the staff really is just looking forward to adding the five stars, the top 100 players, the guys that you know you check these message boards and you check these rankings for. You know, I think that right now they're waiting for the big fish to try to reel in. Yeah, talking about um, holes, one of the biggest criticisms for the Gator recruiting staff is that they are not able to haul in the big offensive linemen from the state of Florida. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, I think to an extent, I think, you know, it's just, you know, a couple guys they just, you know, flat out got beat on, you know, and I think at the other sense too, you have some guys that, you know, were committed even before this coaching staff really took, you know, just if really made a full hire. You know, you have Alex Leatherwood, he's been committed to Alabama, you know, shortly after the time that McElwain was hired, he's the guy that's talked about. You know, Navon Donaldson is the guy that Florida's really gotten involved with here lately. 
But, you know, he's been committed to Miami for a while. And then you have a couple other guys, uh, you know, uh, Kyle Leon Herbert. He's a guy that from down in South Florida. You know, it looked like Florida was the odds-on favor there for a while. Uh, then he popped up and committed to Michigan early uh, in, in July. Um, but, you know, pops up on a first visit uh, to the UMass game and came with Jake Allen. He, he's really good friends with Florida's quarterback commit. So, you know, they're still in the running for a lot of these guys. And I think that uh, going forward, you know, they're, they're going to need some top-end guys. You know, David Sharp, there's some, some talk that – he could possibly leave, you know, go to the mm-hmm. NFL. And I think if he does do take that, you know, that, that's a big hit on their offensive line. They're going to need a guy that can come in and step in and, and make immediate, make it an immediate impact and take meaningful snaps for Florida. Uh, Blake, can you talk about some of the dark horses that could possibly join this class? You know, right now it's kind of hard to really put together a dark horse. You know, I think right now a lot of the guys, um, you know, it's a little – uh, it's a little quiet, you know. Guys are starting their seasons now. They're really focused on starting to put together official visits. You know, I think if, if I really had to say a dark horse guy, I, I would say that you know maybe a guy to keep an eye on would be uh, Devin Hunter, the the safety up from Virginia. Uh, I think right now it's Florida and Virginia Tech kind of battling out there. I think I've heard you know to watch out for North Carolina. He, he wants to take a lot of visits. It's it's going to be can Florida pull him away from Virginia Tech? You know, from the in-state school, the school he's watched a lot. You know, he's he's really close with Torian Gray. They go back to all the way, you know, his eighth grade, you know, ninth grade year from whenever he was at Virginia Tech. So you know, and, and throw on top of it that Florida produces top DBs. You know, they have a neatest position. I think that that's a guy that Florida can really sneak in and pull out. And you know, I think that that would be a, a you know a really big addition for them at the safety position. He's a guy that can cover. He can you know he can come down and hit. He, his game really does remind me a lot of Keanu Neal. You know, one of the recruits that I'm most intrigued with, and, you know, I've talked to you about this before, is Christopher Henderson from Columbus High School down in Miami. Uh, do you have anything new that you can tell us? You know, I, I don't think there's really anything new, so to say. Uh, he's been committed to Miami. He's obviously looking around. You know, he's, he's talking about visiting Florida uh, for the LSU game. He was trying to make it to the Kentucky game, but he had uh, his transportation fall through. But he's looking to make it to the LSU game. He's going to take an official visit probably later on in the season, maybe uh, December, January, somewhere around there. You know, he, he remains committed to Miami, but, you know, he's talking about visiting not only Florida, but he's talking about visiting Tennessee, Michigan. So he's obviously looking around and, you know, really trying to weigh out his options. He's made, you know, I feel like he's made almost like seven or eight visits to Florida. So, you know, mm-hmm. dating all the way back to the spring and the summer and into the upcoming fall. You know, this is a guy that's been to Gainesville a lot, you know, despite his commit to my, commitment to Miami. A lot of his friends are committed to Florida. He has uh, Sean Davis. He has uh, Kamori Gamble, the, you know, two guys from South Florida that are committed to, uh, to the Gators that are pushing for him, you know. So I think it's, uh, you know, one of those things that if Florida continues to stay on him, I, I'm starting to wonder, you know, they have – uh, Sean uh, Sean Wade is like their their top target, so mm-hmm. to say. He's committed to Ohio State. You know, he's obviously still looking around too. But you know, Florida's already missed out on uh, AJ Terrell. You know, who committed to Clemson a couple months ago. Um, you know, the, the Wade is kind of a toss up right now. So I think if Florida's looking to really close out this defensive back class. I think, you know, they can really look at Brad Stewart, the guy out of Louisiana as a cornerback they can take, and then uh, C.J. Henderson. I, I think he could be another guy, too, that they they squeeze in there, and that gives them five commitments to the cornerback position, which I think is a pretty good haul. Yeah, one of the guys that the Gators missed out on is a uh, teammate of Jake Allen, obviously a huge uh, Gator commit, uh, Trevon, Trevon Grimes. Um, the Gators missed out on him. He committed to Ohio State. Uh, is that something that Gator fans should just forget about and move on, or is there a chance that uh, Gator, the Gators come back into the picture? You know, to be honest with you, I, I've really kind of considered him an Ohio State commit for 
I feel like two years now. The kid has just been, you know, he's, he's called Ohio State his favorite. He's from Illinois originally. So I don't think Florida was ever really, you know, a factor going forward here. I think he was trying to take some visits. He never really fell in love with anything. Nothing really ever beat Ohio State for him. You know, he's one, I mentioned going back home. Urban Meyer is, I, I, don't, I don't care how you spin it. He's one of the greatest recruiters in college football right now. So, you know, I don't think Florida's really in this. I don't think they get back in the picture. He's too busy playing dodgeball and, you know, all those things that he does in his commitment video. <laughs> so, with all being said now, with the state of recruiting how it is, uh, where do you expect the Gators to finish when it comes to rankings? You know, right now on rivals rankings, they're twelfth. You know, I, I think that that's where you see, you know, classes like this can slide. You know, with uh, you know other schools, you know, they'll clean some guys out. There'll be some some defections in a class where you see guys decommit. You know, Alabama's one of those, you know, guys that always makes that late run. Ohio State, you know, those schools like that always make that late run leading up to, to uh, signing day. But, you know, I think Florida, they, they can add some guys in there. The way that they're looking to add, you know, some star power, so to say, I think that they can get, a, you know, easily a top 10 class. Uh, Blake, um, talking about, like, the current uh, class that Florida has uh, currently committed, you know, what are some of the recruits just saying about the program and the start of the season so far? You know, so far, you know, I, I don't think there was really much to say about the first game. I think that, you know, Florida really struggled there. I don't know if it was the weather, just a lot of new key components there. So, you know, it, there really wasn't a lot to talk about in the first game. But then you come out and you just completely dismantle Kentucky. You know, you're, you're strong on all facets of the game. You run, you block, you pass, you play great defense. You know, so there was really a lot to do about that game. There was quite a few uh, recruits there. You know, there was a lot of guys committed to other schools, you know, really saying, you know, that Florida did a great job. You know, you look at Florida's defense, they're up near the top in the SEC. So, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of things that recruits are going to really like about this, especially, you know, with Florida looking to really, you know, reload on a lot of defense. You know, this year I think is one of probably one of the more balanced Florida teams you're going to see in a while as far as, you know, the offense being able to keep up with the defense. You know, obviously I think if you lose some big-time guys like Florida's going to lose on defense next season or could possibly lose more with guys leaving early, you know, I think that uh, you know, there's a lot of excitement for these guys to really come in and, and take the reins, so to say, and kind of build off of what Florida has continuously had on defense year after year. All right, Blake, thanks for uh, taking your time to talk to us in the first edition of the ITG Gator Podcast. Um, thank you for giving us your insight, and we'll talk to you soon. Anytime. Now moving on, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball, guys. Um, defensive line, obviously this has been talked about as one of the strongest groups on this Gator football team. Uh, you talk about C.C. Jefferson, Caleb Brantley, uh, Brian Cox. Uh, this, this part of the team is pretty stacked. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, the, the depth of showed, you know, the first couple games. I mean, Florida really hasn't allowed, you know, two great of, uh, rushing performances from its first two opponents really held it down. And, I mean, McElwain always preaches, you know, do your job and whatnot. I mean, obviously, some of the players, you know, just their work hasn't showed up in the stat sheet, but... As Mac would say, they did their job and really opened up things for the linebackers to really make plays. That's why, you know, Alex Anzalone has been running wild in large part due to, you know, the defensive line really opening up things and, you know, creating lanes for Anzalone to strike. Yeah, there's one player that uh, really stands out to me that hasn't really done much so far. Like, you're talking about players doing their parts. You know, I do want to see more from Caleb Brantley. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this guy is highly touted. Everybody on the team is talking about him. Coach Collins, I mean, talking about him, media day. So, I mean, this guy has a lot of hype around him. And, you know, to help build his stock for the next level, I mean, be a perfect time for him to start playing at a consistent level now, even though he's somewhat struggled with consistency in his career at Florida. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you uh, on some ends there. Obviously, the first two games, or, or the first game had uh, two uh, offsides penalties that, you know, kind of hurt Florida. 
And, I mean, in the second game, he performed better, but, I mean, we haven't seen really much of that dynamic playmaking. I mean, has done solid for the most part, but, I mean, just you want to see, you know, that guy get in the backfield and consistently, you know, make sacks, you know, earn tackles for losses and whatnot. And, I mean, Kale Brantley really hasn't filled up the stat sheet on that end, but, I mean, it's done all right up to this point. Yeah, the biggest storyline when it came to the defensive line in the offseason was replacing Jonathan Bullard, who was mm-hmm. drafted by the Chicago Bears, and Alex McAllister, who also went to the NFL. How do you guys think has the defensive line, you know, made up for them, been better, or what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, the pass rush looks pretty good. I mean, Florida's got a ton of options there. Obviously, Jordan Sherritt has really stepped up to the plate. He's played really well. He's performed well against the run. I mean, had two sacks against Kentucky. So he's stepped up in a starting role and has really held down that uh, weak side defensive end spot. And then the backups at defensive end, too. Um, I mean, uh, Jabari Zanega and uh, Kavanis Davis have you know done a nice job. I mean, Zanega had two sacks in that first game and was displayed an impressive, uh, impressive motor and you know just was really disruptive on the edge there. You know, getting to the quarterback later on in that contest. So I mean, both those guys have done nicely. And uh, I mean, obviously he kind of gets overlooked at times, but Brian Cox, you know, yeah. as a starter at strong side defensive end, he's he's done some nice things. Uh, he's forced a couple hurries, you know, his first couple contests and. I mean, he he gets overlooked, but the job he puts in, you know, on a day in and day out is uh, is, is huge for this line. And then, I mean, as you mentioned, you know, just Florida trying to replace Bullard, one of the actions that they took, you know, during the spring was moving C.C. Jefferson, the defensive tackle. And so far, the transition for him hasn't been as smooth as, you know, the coaching staff, you know, proposed it to him, how, how it would be. And, I mean, it'll be interesting to see kind of how he adjusts there. I mean, he's got, you know... He's a powerful, strong kid, but obviously at 265 pounds, six foot one, I mean, is, is lacking the kind of weight there to be a three technique. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, just how he handles that responsibility moving forward. Yeah, one of the guys that Gator fans have had huge expectations for, especially coming into this fall, was Antonio Clayton, freshman, mm-hmm. obviously, from Georgia. Um, he really hasn't seen that much time on the field. Uh, you talked about, you tweeted out about how maybe a red shirt coming in. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, at this point, if he doesn't see playing time in the North Texas game, I think Florida's going to gear him more for a red shirt. I mean, he hasn't seen the field the first two games. He's been on scout team and practices. I mean, obviously a five-star, everybody expected him to come in and play right away. I mean, I was one of those guys that thought he'd be, you know, a pass-rushing specialist on third down. I mean, Florida would use him in a niche type of role, but Florida's really stuck with, you know, its main guys uh, on the two deep for the most part. So... Yeah, I think at this point, Clinton's more likely to redshirt. I mean, he could really use a year to, you know, kind of physically develop and, you know, add more weight to his frame, add more bulk to his frame, and, you know, just uh, really, you know, absorb the defensive playbook a little bit more. I mean, it, 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 would, it should certainly benefit him, but I guess, I guess we'll kind of see, you know, as we move forward, just what the plan's looking like. Lena, I have one question for you. Yeah? A lot of the players are very high on Ja'Kai Polite. Mm-hmm. Can you, uh, you know, just... Tell the viewers, you know, what these players are saying about him and what impact he's had on the team so far. Yeah, I mean, he's he's cracked rotation already, and is you know he's not going to redshirt this year. I mean, he he did a nice uh, he had a nice play in the second half of that Kentucky game. I mean, helped force a fumble. I mean, the kid's aggressive, uh, has played a lot of defensive end, but is also a three te- uh, technique tackle too. I mean, he could he's versatile enough to play at both spots, and I think long term Florida might gear him towards playing you know inside because I mean he's already a pretty big kid. I mean, obviously, as you said, a lot of the teammates have raved about, you know, just how big he is, his work ethic, how he's picked up the system so far. And, I mean, at 6'1 and approaching around, like, 270 pounds, I mean, if he keeps adding on that weight, he could definitely make a permanent move inside and really help out Florida in that aspect. Yeah, this is probably a question I should have asked. Like, I'm going to 
let you take a shot at this one. Yeah. Now, going back to Antonius Clayton, uh, if McElwain does decide to redshirt him, what mm. kind of message does that send to other five stars that the Gators are trying to recruit? Because, you know, recruits don't look at look at a redshirt and be like, oh, I want to get redshirted. They want to play. They want to make an impact when they when they step foot on campus. You think that sends a bad message? You think that's a, that's a negative thing for the Gators? I mean, it's a, it's a mixed message, I guess, but for the most part... I, I, Florida's just basically come saying to kids, if you're ready to, I mean, if you have the skill set, and you're ready to play. We'll play you right away. That's what mm-hmm. I mean. You look at it conversely. A lot of these three stars, you know, I've seen playing time are avoiding red shirts. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's really you know it depends on you know just the situation for each kid. But I mean, yeah, you can look at it conversely too and see a lot of you know three stars you know playing big roles. Yeah, and let's talk about a position that has really like come become the strongest part of the Gators' defense, in my opinion. Uh, Jared Davis, mm-hmm. Alex Anzalone. I mean, we knew that it was going to be pretty strong mm-hmm. coming into the fall, but I did not know that Alex Anzalone was going to play as good as he is mm-hmm. right now. I mean, I think his play has elevated the linebacker group to the best squad defensive part of defense. I'm talking about in front of the DBs. I'm talking about in front of the great defensive line that the Gators have. That's a, that's a pretty tall, that's a pretty uh, tall no, order. I, I'm telling you. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm telling you. Oh. I, I have high expectations for the linebackers Jared Davis and Anzalone. If Anzalone keeps on playing how he's playing, the Gators' defense is going to be even better than people expect. Well, that's the thing with Anzalone. I mean, obviously, he's had that past uh, history of, you know, just uh, dealing with shoulder injuries. And, and I feel like that's kind of why expectations were tempered somewhat entering the season. I mean, Florida fans are just concerned if he's going to just simply stay healthy. I mean, we saw early on during the first five quarters of last year what he's capable of, what he could do. And, I mean, he's... He showed that this year, and then some more. I mean, he's he's looked definitely like one of Florida's best defensive players, no doubt. So, I mean, if he could stay healthy, avoid any you know further issues, I mean, he could really be an impact player for this Florida defense. He's done it already these first two games. I mean, you saw that opening drive against Kentucky for the defense. I mean, had three tackles and a sack. I mean, that's good for uh, most guys' you know full game performances, and he had that in one drive. So, yeah. yeah. If Anzalone can stay healthy throughout this whole season. I mean, Florida's got a legit chance to be very, very, very dominant on defense. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, Florida is an amazing defensive school, but having two linebackers in Jared Davis and Alex Anzalone, that's something special. That's, a, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. man. I mean, yeah. I think that's something special. Def- I, don't, I don't think it's better than the defensive backs, per se, but I think that... I don't know, man. You know, you might be right there with when you're talking about Tabor and Marcus May and Quincy, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if it's hard to push around this defensive line, and you got those guys backing up this defensive line, it's going to be hard to run the ball against Florida. And then just shifting to another topic regarding the linebackers, I'm kind of interested to see how, you know, Daniel McMillan and David Reese, Kylan Johnson, how those guys, you know, kind of handle uh, backup responsibilities. I mean, obviously, Florida's been showing some more, you know, traditional 4-3 looks this year, and McMillan's seen some time as a at strong sign linebacker, but obviously is dealing with a high-angle sprain playing through it admirably, for that matter, but... I mean, he obviously isn't at 100%. So, I mean, I'm kind of interested to see how he kind of fares into things. I mean, obviously, Kylan Johnson has been playing some weak side linebacker. I mean, Florida could always end up playing him at strong side if need be. But, I mean, obviously, Anzalone and Davis have really led the way. But I kind of want to see how those guys figure in because, obviously, as the season goes on and, you know, depth is tested, I mean, those guys are going to need to step up. Yeah, the linebacker group is going to be so crucial for the Gators. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to the SEC schedule, you look about you look at Tennessee, uh, Dobbs and Hurd. You need those linebackers to step up in, in a game like that. You look at LSU at the Swamp. 
against Fournette, you're going to need those guys. So Arkansas too, yeah. Yeah, yeah what, what? Like we you said earlier, Tanner, Alex Anzalone has to stay healthy. I think that's a huge part of of that Gator linebacker group. Now the most talked about defensive group on the defense. DBU, the defensive backs, mm-hmm. Tease Tabor, Quincy Wilson. What do you guys think? Yeah, I really liked what I saw the last game. I mean, obviously, you know, Jalen Tabor goes by Tease now, but, I mean, we alternate. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you got Jalen, you got uh, Quincy, one of the best cornerback tandems, I mean, not just in the SEC, but possibly the entire nation there. I mean, those guys are really good. Displayed some nice things, you know against Kentucky, and then Marcus May, a key cog in that secondary at safety. He's so underrated, by the way. I think Marcus May is hugely underrated. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, he's, he's definitely a, a, a huge part of the secondary as well. But, I mean, the, the starting lineup for the secondary is very, very solid, in my opinion. I mean, Duke Dawson at nickel, I mean, he's definitely made some strides since last season and has done a great job. And then, I mean, you got Nick Washington and Marcel Harris really battling for the other safety spot, and both have, you know, performed well and kind of alternating there and starts – the first two games so i mean those guys you know kind of are leading the way but the big question mark obviously moving forward is just how kind of the younger guys respond i mean you know you got guys like chauncey who's been playing at corner and nickel and you know chris williamson who you know had his mistakes in the umass game joseph putu obviously he's dealing with a ankle sprain but i mean once he's back he's going to be playing a a backup role at corner i mean obviously Tabor and wilson will play close to like 80 90 percent of the snaps but i mean those guys will have to fill in at some point probably I mean, I kind of want to see how those guys really fare and, you know, just the uh, backup duty because you never know what the – as I even mentioned with the linebackers, I mean, you never know as the season progresses, depth is tested, and some of those guys may need to play. And, I mean, you look at the UMass game, I mean, when they didn't have Tabor, I mean, Chris Williamson was definitely a liability in coverage and got exploited twice. I think it was like two catches for 77 yards. So, I mean, that, that's kind of just my overview of the secondary right now. Definitely strong, very top-heavy, but, I mean – those younger guys are going to have to step up if their number is called at any point. Yeah, we all know how good Jalen Tabor is, but Quincy Wilson, um, not many people talk, to, uh, talk about him as much as we do about Tease Tabor. I mean, you talk to Marcus May, he says that Quincy Wilson has the potential to be as good as Vernon Hargreaves and, and Tabor. Uh, what do you guys think about him? Do you think he's, he could get to that level? I mean, you said that you think Marcus May is the most, undergra- uh, most underrated in that unit. You think it's Quincy? I think it's Quincy yeah. Wilson. This guy plays with a chip on his shoulder. He balls out. I mean, look at his, look at the interception. Kentucky, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's such an athletic play. He steps in at the right time. Last year, when you look back at the Ole Miss game, he was playing on Treadwell a lot. Treadwell was held to around, what, 45 yards or something like that? Yeah, shut down. I mean, exactly. I mean, Quincy Wilson is very underrated, and, I mean, he has the chance to – bolster his stock and you know he could leave for the NFL I mean to be fair the kid's Twitter bio is underdog simply just underdog <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so he definitely wears that chip on his shoulder no doubt yeah so I mean I think Quincy Wilson's going to be something special this year I think I don't know last year you kind of look at Vernon Hargraves and how kind of like laid off the pedal a little bit and you know Tabor stepped more into the aggressive role I think this is going to be Quincy this year yeah, because I feel like he—I mean—he just has something to prove. Of course. Sir. So everyone knows the ability of uh, Jalen Tabor. So it, it's hard to call a defensive back at Florida, you know, underrated and not talked about enough when this group is just talked about a bunch nationally. But another guy, uh, Landon, you talked about it, Duke Dawson, nickel. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to be a huge part of this team because you look at college football in a broader mm-hmm. scope. All these teams are going spread. 
They're yeah. all going. For a defense's need than that Nickelback now. I think it's a lot more valuable now than it was before. Yeah, and I mean, especially it gives Florida some line of flexibility when you got a guy like Daniel McMillan, you know, dealing with injury or, you know, you're going up against a team, you know, that runs that spread, has, you know, three wide receivers out wide. I mean, you know, you definitely, you know, need to be versatile in that aspect. I mean, Duke Dawson is definitely filling in pretty well, you know, at that Nickelback spot is, you know played really well these past couple games and I'm kind of interested to see you know just how he handles the role moving forward uh, I think that's uh we covered the defensive backs pretty good but I think we have to talk about something probably more important than everything else special teams <laughs> Eddie Pinero he's I mean I mean if you saw McElwain during yeah. uh, the start of Wednesday's practice I mean he was you know special teams are very very important yeah. to him you, you could tell uh, I mean I'm not going to get into specifics of what he had to say but he was he was pretty uh, he's pretty vocal at the start of that yeah. practice no doubt I think I think it's absolutely hilarious in the swamp on game days even when they, when they come out for warm-ups when Eddie comes out I swear he's a fan favorite on this team for sure oh, absolutely There's everybody in the swamp screaming Eddie 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 I think it's fantastic. He's probably the most popular 15 of all time. I mean, he's got he's, <laughs> he's got people uh, bringing up their uh, old Tebow jerseys, uh-huh. you know, from the closets and and <laughs> uh, and writing Pinero on the back. So, <laughs> but no, but no, the kid's been kid's been solid. Obviously, you know, had some rough patches in that second game. You know, struggled went one of three, but I mean, the one he made it was from 54 yards. I mean, I think that was the longest field goal Ford has made in what like five years or something like Since that. Since Caleb Sturgis days, so, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. He went one for three on that day, and he. He he hit that fifty four yarder. It was like the sixth longest field goal. I think it was was it was it sixth longest? Uh, yeah, I mean regardless. Because the game before he hit yeah. like the third longest field goal in Gator football history. So yeah, definitely I'm, good signs from Panera. Yeah, I mean regardless, fifty four yards that's impressive. But kind of just what McIlwain wants to see from him. I mean he McIlwain's compared. You know, Panera's kicking kind of almost like a golf swing. He just wants him. You know, just to get that rhythm and that timing down. And obviously, in the in the past game, you know, just kind of. Was a little, you know, shaky on that end, and maybe tried to overkick it a little too much. Because I mean, the kid's got an incredibly strong leg, and with, with Pinheiro, I mean, it, it's all about, you know, it's just that discipline. But I mean, he's only played two college games. Yeah. I mean, he's got so much more room to grow, and he's got a, you know, at a max, you know, three years of college football to really, you know, reach his heights before you know, possibly taking his career to the next level. Yeah, Coach McQueen talked about a post game after Kentucky that he's got all the skills. The skills, not the question. Is that he tries to he tried to do a little bit too much against Kentucky, you know? Maybe got to his head a little bit. The Eddie Chance in the swamp, you know, fan favorite and everything. But you know, Coach Matt just had to remind him after the game, "Hey, we j- we need you to do this. Don't try to do too much. Just know your role, and because they trust his abilities. And we're gonna have to see if that pays off in North Texas and going on for the rest of the season. And talking about other." Uh, special teams, yeah. like Johnny Townsend. Yeah, I mean, he only uh, had the pelt. He, he, he didn't get too much work against. Kentucky. Yeah, he only had the pelt once because yeah. I mean, Flores scoring all those touchdowns. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Old punt man. Yeah, punt man, punt man, punt man. <laughs> Johnny's up to something, but I mean, you know, Ray Guy Award finalist or semifinalist, excuse me, uh, last year. I mean, he has the potential to work his way into that Ray Guy Award consideration this year. I mean, he's definitely uh, a strength on this Florida football team. Was crazy to say one of the MVPs. You know, just the late last season when. Uh, the offense was struggling so much under Treon Harris, but I mean, he he brings a lot of positives to the table. And then just I guess moving forward, kind of looking at you know just the uh, the return teams, it's going to be interesting now. I mean, obviously you know you got Callaway likely out for this weekend. You got Massey out for the year with a torn ACL. I mean, those are really Florida's top two guys that you know punt returner and kickoff returner. I mean, they're really going to have to count on you know Brandon Powell 
Freddie Swain, possibly even Chris Freddie Thompson. Swain. Yeah, Freddie Swain. That's you. That's, love, you love Freddie Swain, don't I you? I love Freddie Swain. I don't know if you guys know that yet. But another thing, I I don't want Antonio Callaway taking another kick return the rest of the season. Let I, tell you what, I, I don't know, man. It, He's special. He is Callaway so special. is special. I give you that. But let's say Callaway hurts himself in the kick return. That's a huge part of Gator's offense. Just. Out. Yeah, I mean, obviously you got the risks with it, but I mean, Mac, as you've seen through so many press conferences already, McWayne's all about guys promoting their brand and you know impacting the way uh, game in all sorts of ways. And what Callaway, like like Tanner said, like what, what Callaway brings, you know, just in the aspect of punt returning is you know just he's a special football player. I mean, returned two for touchdowns last year, had the well the, the, the touchdown early on against Alabama that really you know kept Florida in it for you know the first half of that contest, and then. Obviously, you know, things got crazy and hectic, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, not, I guess just looking at, you know, the current group, I mean, they're going to have to really count on Powell, possibly Swain, maybe even Chris Thompson, too. I mean, Thompson was, you know, receiving some reps early on in Wednesday's practice with the kickoff return unit. So I, I would look to those three guys really, you know, playing key roles there now with uh, Callaway sidelined and Massey out for the year. All right, well, moving on to our next segment. In future podcasts, we usually, in this part of the podcast, we would you know, preview the the team coming up this Saturday. But North Texas, we all know. No love uh, for we, North Texas, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no love. <laughs> we'll, preview, we'll, we'll preview them a little bit, but, I, you, know, I mean, you know. But, like, we all know that the Gators are going to win that by a larger amount. So we'll see, man. what we decided to do this time was do an over-under segment. The Gators are a mm-hmm. five-touchdown favorite against North Texas in the Swamp at 7.30 this Saturday. Uh, guys, over-under. That is the game. Landon, we'll start with you first. Well, right now the the line is at 36, I believe. Yeah. I'm going to pick under just because Antonio Callaway is likely not going to be available for that game, and some of the younger receivers are going to have to step up. But I do have Florida winning by a comfortable margin, probably by like maybe four scores is my guess. But, I mean, 36 is a lot. And obviously when you're missing your best weapon on offense, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the under there. I've been like back and forth. You know, before the podcast we were yeah. talking, I said I didn't think Florida would uh, – would go over, but then I started thinking about it more. I'm like, you know, it totally could happen. Tan, Tan, you can't lie to me because you said they were going to drop 50 in the first half. Yeah, I know. I said I'm, I've been going back and forth. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> I said it was going to be like, I don't know, like, I don't even remember my prediction. I said like 56 to 6 or something yeah. ridiculous like that. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I, I mean, honestly, I think it's possible because when you look at a team like North Texas, I mean, last year they were. God awful. Like one in eleven. Give the Mean Green some credit here. No, they beat Bethune Cookman forty-two to twenty-seven <laughs> last week. Tanner with oh. a true freshman quarterback, yeah. Mason Fine. I mean, and then the running back too, Jeffrey Wilson's a pretty solid player as well. I mean, McQueen kind of mentioned that actually during Gator talk. I mean, Florida's really gonna have to you know get those edge rushers you know some good lanes to get to the quarterback and you know cause some pressure because North Texas likes to run a little up tempo and you know. I know that's going to be a key matchup there, you know, the edge rushers versus uh, North Texas's offensive tackles. But I think Florida's got the edge there, no doubt. I mean, that group has been excellent up to this point. So I'm taking the under. You're taking the under. But I'll still take the under just yeah, because yeah. I'm not sure if Florida's going to post as many points as they would if they had Callaway, obviously. So. Yeah, I've kept my opinion quiet, especially with me and Tanner. We're talking about it. I didn't tell them my prediction because I, like, to the second, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't. I haven't wrapped up my, my mind around a decision yet, but you know, just to uh, create some diversity in this podcast, I'm going to go with the over. Ooh, I'm going to go with the over, okay. and I say that uh, Freddie look, Swain... Look at, look at Skip Bales over yeah, here, Freddie, generating controversy. My boy, <laughs> my boy, Freddie Swain, two touchdowns on Saturday. Just saying. Two touchdowns. Two, two touchdowns. Write that down. 
All right, guys. Well, this is fun. Well, we can follow you at what, Tanner? Tanner underscore Denny? Is yeah. that what it is? T underscore Denny. T underscore Denny. And you can follow my friend Landon Watnick at, at Landon Watnick. Yes. No underscores. Just straight at Landon Watnick. Yeah, he had to pay somebody big buck for that, for that <laughs> at name. And so many Landon Watnicks yeah, out there. Yeah, so many Landon Watnicks. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow me at Danny underscore 361. Uh, we'll be uh, tweeting some nice videos from the sidelines Saturday when the Gators face North Texas. And so, guys, this was fun. Hope you guys enjoyed listening, and we will see you soon.